Welcome to Health Matters, Sonoma's weekly program devoted to health and well-being. Each week through interviews, editorials, and listener participation, we will explore topics and issues of contemporary medicine and its relationship to the lifestyles of our community. Our goal is to provide you with information and resources to help you achieve and maintain what you deserve, a happy, healthy, and productive life. I'm your host, Dr. Ned Hoke, a veteran in natural methods healthcare, speaking with you today from Sonoma Valley, California, for an hour of health topic digestion and discussion. Please stay with us. And welcome back, Health Matters listeners. Thank you for tuning in us again this lovely, lovely day. At least it's lovely today where I am. And of course, as you know, we're still not back in the studio at KSVY. We, we have to record from home and then send them on to the tech people who then put them on for you. So this is today is a very lovely day where I am, and I hope it'll be a lovely day when, when you get this, when, when we get to you. So today is a program, kind of a preparation. We're, we've got several things coming, but we don't have anything immediately that we should attend to exactly other than attending to the future because we've got four or five different uh, themes that I'm going to explore with you, some of which you may be interested in, some of which you may not be interested in. So I'm hoping that we'll be able to find during today's broadcast, we'll be able to find something of interest for you. And uh, so we can look forward to more of what it is we're talking about because we're talking about things that are coming up for the program. And, and basically, I was very excited, uh, yes, uh, to, I guess it was yesterday, to hear that uh, Robert Lustig um, has gotten a new book. Robert Lustig is, a, Dr. Robert Lustig is a really, really um, remarkable pediatric uh, neuroendocrinologist who's long been kind of on the cutting edge of medicine and science. Throughout his 40-plus years uh, career, the New York t- uh, best-selling author of Fat Chance, and has been um, dedicated to treating and preventing childhood obesity and diabetes. This new book, Metabolical, (laughs) I love the title, uh, The Lure and Lies of Processed Food, Nutrition, and Modern Medicine, comes out in May. So I just got an email from the HarperCollins, the publisher of this book, and they said we might be able to have him on Health Matters. And so, wow, we're going to be able to have him uh, the first week of May, um, I believe. Uh, it'll be either the first or second week. And he is, um, uh, for those of us who've, who've paid attention to his work, um, the uh, like a, another of my prof- professors from medical school, I, when I went, was at UC Medical School in the, in the 70s, um, my uh, teacher there, um, uh, was, was she had a small uh, class in nutrition, and it, that started me on the path of like looking at, the, looking at these things carefully, and, and then I went on to do other things. But uh, Robert Lustig has been, in modern times, in recent times, has been making a remarkable public presence of the crisis that we have with sugar um, and many things related to sugar, as, it, as we were just saying a minute ago. 
So anyway, he metabolical is his new book, and listen listen to a few things about this. Uh, let's see. This book will open your eyes to a powerful food industry that is failing to its core task, says Jeffrey Sachs, university professor at Columbia University, president of the United Nations Sustainable Development Solutions Network. They call this next author, Mark Bittman, calls it an authoritative, no-holds-barred no analysis of what food does for health versus the food industry does for disease. Metabolical lays bare the depth of relationship between the uh, recent and the profound perversions of human diet and the, its overwhelming health consequences. This is David, David Perlmutter. He's the, um, the famous author of a book called Grain Brain and a, a lot of public, uh, public TV, uh, PBS uh, materials that he's done. Anyway, Robert Lustig, in his previous work, Hacking the American Mind, Dr. Lustig elucidated how processed food industry has hacked our bodies and minds to pursue pleasure over happiness, fueling widespread addiction and depression. In Metabolical, he addresses nutrition, food, science, global health, and explains how, by focusing on real food, we can reverse chronic disease and promote longevity. For the first time, all strands of this pandemic, the medical, the economic, and the environmental, are pulled together in a clear narrative. Describing the eight prologues within the cell that belie all chronic disease, Dr. Lustig illustrates how they are not druggable, or rather foodable. The medication can't cure what nutrition can. By following two basic principles, protect the liver, feed the gut, he uses uh, the science of to chronicle the breakdown of our current healthcare paradigm, which has succumbed to influences by big food and big pharma and big government. In a special chapter, food in the chronic food, excuse me, few food in the time of Corona. Dr. Lustig addresses the way pre-existing conditions, i.e. diet-induced chronic diseases, make us vulnerable to succumbing to acute infectious diseases like COVID-19. He also argues that the nutrition facts labels hide information from the consumer by omitting what's been done to the food, which is more important than what's in the food. Weaving together inter interconnected strands of nutrition, disease, medicine, and environment, metabolical provides scientific basis for a series of interconnected revelations among them. Medicine for chronic disease only treats symptoms, not the disease itself. You can diagnose your own biochemical profile. Processed foods aren't just toxic, toxic they're addictive. The war between the vegan and the keto is a false war. The uh, combatants are on the same side. <laughs> big food, big pharma, and big government are on the same on the other side. Excuse me. So this is Robert Lustig, who will be uh, be with us either the first or second week in, in May, and I'm very enthusiastic about it. And all listeners, I suggest all listeners, if they have any concern with this topic, 
as anybody in modern life should, in my opinion. Uh, I hope you'll tune in and and uh, participate in that in that visit. Now, um, while we're on the food story, um, the next part of our today's program is an upcoming guest. This this guest, I have this one uh, scheduled also fairly soon in actually this one is scheduled also in early May. <clears throat> this is another delightful um, uh, text on on how to use food to re to restart your energy, how to restart your well-being. Now this is the the voice of Ayurveda. Ayurveda is the medicine of India. And the Ayurvedics, and it's it's a ancient system. I'm, as many of our listeners know who know me at all, I'm a Chinese medical practitioner. I'm an acupuncturist, an Oriental medical doctor, and so the Chinese medicine that I practice is rather similar to Ayurvedic medicine, in, in that the the diet is is one of the central parts of the therapy, and and uh, so anyway, uh, Dr. Vatsala Spurling. She has written a book called Ayurvedic Reset Diet, Reset Diet, The Radiant Health Through Fasting, Mono Diet, and Smart Food Combining. Now, this is, again, this is very much in the, in the Indian system, but it's very accessible. So for those of you who are able to turn in when Dr. Sperling is with us, you'll be able to get a, a, a much deeper taste than I'll give you today. But I want to just start because I think she... She sets us up in a very useful way in terms of talking about her own history and her own background and kind of she came to this not as an academic but as you'll read, she came to it as a child. When I was growing up in Jansapur, India, we lived a life based on Ayurvedic Ayurveda, excuse me, an ancient system for understanding disease and health that considers food that is grown, cooked, and eaten with reverence as both nutrition and medicine. Important, that's an important statement, both nutrition and medicine. My parents explained uh, the meaning and purpose of our household rituals and traditions in such a way that we children, six of us, could embrace and carry, uh, carry them forward into our own lives and our own future. One of my most vivid recollections from my early years in, in childhood house is the set of rituals my family followed around food, which I now try to embrace. Our parents taught us to talk to the plants that yet that grew year around in abundance in our front and back kitchen gardens, as well as our rooftop. Ask the plants for forgiveness before cutting, plucking, pruning, and necessarily uprooting them. We were trained to thank the plants for providing us with fruits, vegetables, flowers, and to take only as much as we needed at any given time. Thus, harvesting was a daily process. Dava Smari, the physician to the gods, gave instructions to the rishis and the wise sages of ancient India on how to provide a well-balanced and complete medical system for taking care of humans. These details were written down in Sanskrit by the physician Sharaka. Into his Sharakarkat um, Shamhita treatise, and, 
and taught in Ayurvedic medical schools in India. Ayurvedic knowledge for taking care of health has also permeated the culture and has been passed down in familial traditions and the daily life routines and food habits of many Indians are based on the concepts that have been laid out in Sharaka's treatise. Before we started cooking, my mother would bathe while chanting about the river Ganja, Ganga. She then uh, would clean the stove, pots and pans, and the kitchen thoroughly and decorate the stovetop with and a floor around the uh, simple uh, kundam, a floral geometric design made of rice flowers. She'd say a prayer to Ganesh, that's the monkey god, or the, the elephant god, excuse me, asking him to help the cooking as a process without obstacles, and another to Agni, asking him to infuse the food with vital warmth, life, and energy. Because the food would be offered first to God, she never sampled tidbits to ascertain taste, yet she seasoned the food to perfection. When the food was ready, mother would carry all the finished dishes to the prayer room. And after lighting the prayer lamp, our parents would chant a prayer to the goddess, goddess Anapura and meditate for a few moments. Then mother would take out portions of our for our two cows and their calves and for the birds that visited the garden and for any people who might come along asking for food. Prior to mealtime, my eldest sister would ensure that all six of us children had taken baths, combed our hair, brushed our teeth, and put on fresh, clean clothes and had a, a dot, it's called a tilak. That's the dot in the center of the forehead and the holy ash on our foreheads. After prayers, we would sit on the floor in a semicircle around mother. Anyone who came by at mealtime was offered food and sent home afterward with a pack of goodies. Picking, picking, criticizing, choosing, and rudely demanding food was not allowed. Our parents explained to us the food on our plate was made possible by all the plants in our garden working around the clock to produce, to produce it, that mother had cooked with food with such devotion because she loved us that the food had acquired its special taste and uh, texture because of the grace of Agni and finally that the relationship between the food, hunger, and the body remained healthy. So that's a, a beginning of this book, Ayurvedic Reset Diet. And so that gives you a, a little taste of the beginning of the story that she's going to tell us, which is this, this, this tender beginning in the middle, let's write that, ten, tender beginning doesn't really actually tell you what's coming up. It, this is, gives you a, the, this is a background. But looking ahead, what she 
what she goes on to talk about in very uh, good detail and in a very efficient way. She talks about the principles of Ayurvedic reset diet and why and, how, and the idea of rebooting the well-being. And of course, given in today's world where a lot of rebooting needs to go on, um, I figured that we can't go wrong listening to the teachings of Ayurvedic rebooting and giving each of you something that you wouldn't otherwise have had you not had a chance to listen to Dr. Spearling. So she will be with us again early in May, and we'll look forward to her visiting with her then in the meantime. So please stay tuned. We'll be back with you in just a moment. And welcome back to Health Matters Radio. Dr. Ned Hook again uh, with you today. Uh, we've Early in the program, we had a chance to review some of upcoming uh, visits. We're going to be able to visit with Dr. Robert Lustig and his new book about um, Metabolical, which is basically the description. It's the lure and lies of processed food, nutrition, and modern medicine. Which is a if it's if it's if it's as all as good as Dr. Robert Lustig's earlier work, it's a it's a barn burner. It's it's it it will. He writes well. He he tells he tells a wonderful storyteller in terms of the topic that he gives us. So he can talk to you about nutrition, and he can really make it interesting. So I really do urge you to to be able to be with us then. And we talked earlier again in this program with about Dr. Vatsala uh, uh, Spearling and her book called The Ayurvedic Reset Diet, and she also will be with us early in May. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that. Now we're transitioning, and uh, several, almost three months ago, uh, Polity Press, which is, a, again, one of the major publishers in New York who send me books from time to time, uh, they had a book called The Disappearance of Butterflies by Dr. Joseph Reichhoff. And I just caught a little wind of it, and so I asked them to send me a copy and so I could look at it and then possibly share it with you. And when I got it, it was so comprehensive in terms of the science. This uh, Dr. Reichhoff is a scientist. And so the, the general theme of the disappearance of butterflies, which, of course, butterflies are pollinators. And pollinators are what keep our food system going, in case you hadn't noticed. And so many things happen in Sonoma that, are, that involve pollination. And I don't have to tell you that our agricultural communities are very dependent on such things. And the, the loss of biodiversity, but also the loss of the pollinators, is a huge topic. And so I thought, well, then, then we, could look at the, we could look at the butterflies from the sort of the pollinator side of the equation, of course, which is a very significant part of the situation. But the way Dr. Reichhoff talks about it, it's not only biodiversity, it's, it's also a beauty thing, an aesthetic beauty thing in terms of the whole, the web of life kind of beauty. And he's, um, he's a, um, now he's probably a fairly elderly gentleman and he's as a works at a university in uh, Germany. And so I'm hoping he'll we'll be able to do an interview with him where he can describe better than I'm going to now um, 
about what this book is really about. Uh, it, but I, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read from the flyleaf here because I want to give you a little taste of it because I do, I do want to have Dr. Reischoff join us. And so I want to get you ready for that. Over the past uh, 30 years, our butterfly and moth populations have uh, declined more than 80%. And the butterflies are now facing the very real prospect of extinction. It's hard to remember a time when fields and meadows were full of these beautiful, delicate creatures. Today, we rarely catch a glimpse of the wild cherry sphinx moth or the Duke of Burgundy, or even the once common and now tortoiseshell butterflies. The high brown fritillary butterfly and the stout dart moth have virtually disappeared. The eminent entomologist and award-winning author Joseph Reichhoff began studying butterflies in the late 1950s. He brings a lifetime of scientific experience and expertise to bear on one of the great environmental catastrophes in our time. He takes us on a journey into the wonderful world of butterflies and moths, from the small nymphs that, that, in, that emerge from lakes in, in, in air bubbles to the uh, uh, purple emperors uh, drunk on toad poison, and that's an attractive idea, and immerses us in a world that we are in danger of forever losing. Step by step, he explains the science behind the impending ecological disaster and shows how it is linked to pesticides, overfertilization, and the intensive farming practices of agribusiness. So, um, again, this is a, a, a very strong scientific presence in pushing back not only to help save the planet, but also to save some of the beautiful parts of it. So as I said, I was, I was struck by this book and I was enchanted by it, and yet I didn't know how to make it um, palatable, palatable and acceptable to an audience uh, for you know, a long interview. So, and I, it would also mean I'd have to learn a lot, which I'm happy to do when I can. Uh, but I wanted Dr. Reichel, so I wanted to get, I wanted to sort of have it percolate in me a little bit. And while I was doing that, another thing happened, which was wonderful. Uh, another book came called Bice Bicycling with Butterflies. How's that for a title? Uh, this is by Sarah Dykeman. This is a brand new book. It's, uh, it's coming out just this next month. And I wanted to share with that, share with that, Shared some of that with you because, and Sarah will be with us. Uh, I don't have that date uh, uh, tacked down just yet, but let me tell you the story about this. And, and this is, as I as I said to uh, Professor uh, Reishoff, this is the there's this the deep science, and then there's the the, uh, the 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 someone with the same sincerity, but with a different way of getting at it, and. Uh, let me tell you the story about this. This is called Bicycling with, with Butterflies. This is a 10,201-mile journey following the monarch uh, migration. Three countries, 10,000 miles, a pieced-together bicycle 
and one incredible journey to save monarchs and the environment. This is the history-making trek outdoor educator and field researcher Sarah Dykman daringly embarked upon in 2017, becoming the first person to ever bicycle alongside monarch butterflies on their storied annual migration. Deftly combining travel memoir, popular science, bicycling with butterflies, uh, recounts Dykeman's inspirational ride alongside monarchs as she follows un, unmapped, rail, unmapped roads through Mexican mountaintops, mountains, excuse me, searches the roadsides for milkweed uh, clinging caterpillars, and faces face down thunderstorms, zombie cornfields, and more than a few flat tires. As she encounters the cast of characters, including eager school children, uh, devi uh, devoted uh, citizen scientists, skeptical uh, bar patrons, fellow bicyclists, climate deniers, and un unimpressed border officials, Dykeman passionately shares the urgent plight of the monarchs and the complex science underpinning their dwindling numbers. Filled with optimism, energy, and hope, bicycling with butterflies is a compelling story confirming the urgency of saving the threatened monarch migration and the other threatened systems of nature that affect the survival of us all. Sarah Dykeman is the founder of beyondbooks.org, which fosters lifelong learning boundary pushers, explorers, and stewards. She works in amphibian research and as an outdoor educator, guiding young people into nature so they can delight in its complicated brilliance. She hopes her own adventure, uh, walking from Mexico to Canada, canoeing the Missouri River from source to sea, and cycling over 10,000 miles across North and South America, including the monarch migration trip will empower young and old to dreaming big. I, when I, when I, I remember when I first read that, I almost fell off a chair. I had 10,000 miles on a bike with monarch butterflies. My goodness, what a story that must be. And for those of you who haven't got the patience to wait to have her join us, she is available at, on YouTube. So she has a, again, it's Sarah Dykman, D-Y-K-M-A-N, Bicycling with Butterflies. You can, you can hear her give a, a talk on YouTube, and it's really quite fun. And, and, it, and, it, and it seems implausible that anyone would do this to me, I guess probably because I'm old now, and I, the idea of bicycling for 10,000 miles just seems, it just, it's, it's like outer space or something. It's just, it's just so far away from something that I could possibly even do, much, much less imagine. So, but... She, when you look at her and you hear her tell her star, uh, story on YouTube, and, ho and hopefully if you join us when she's with us here at Health Matters, um, you'll feel the, as, as they say in the introduction, this is, this is a passion and, and, uh, and an excitement and a, and a social purpose and a, na a natural, uh, natural awareness purpose that is so compelling 
that this is um, this is that kind of dedication that we don't see enough of, at least seems to me. So anyway, I'm just going to read a little bit from the beginning of this book because I want to give you the, the, the starting of the, the taste of it. And I do want you to, to go to, to listen to her on YouTube if you're at all caught up by this idea. The idea to bike from Mexico to Canada and back while, while migrating my, with the migrating monarch butterflies arose from a simple wish to visit them. In 2011, crossing Mexico by bike for the first time, a friend and I experienced uh, a, or a, entertained the idea of, of the monarchs and their overwintering sites. Because it was April and the monarchs had already began migrating north, we decided to forego the side trip. I spent the next few years idly daydreaming about returning. Over time, my plan morphed and, and grew until I no longer wanted to just visit the migrants, but I wanted to accompany them by bicycle on their great migration. In 2016, I stopped daydreaming. I packed a, excuse me, I picked a start date for my journey spring of 2017. My idea was now a plan, and I had to year to work out all the details. As with every adventure, planning part was the fun. For a year, I immersed myself in emails, web design, press releases, business cards. I talked with scientists, clicked through websites, poured over maps, uh, questioned my plan, and traced the vague outline of the, of the route. Eventually, there was nothing left to do but to, to start. In January 2017, I braved a 52-hour bus ride from my hometown in Kansas City, uh, following the um, the two-day uh, bike ride and to arrive at the parking lot of the Rosario Monarch Sanctuary in Mexico, in uh, Michoacan, Mexico. Bicycling, strike that, including El, El Rosario, Mexico shelters between seven and 18 known overwintering uh, monarch colonies every winter. The number varies because uh, smaller colonies are not uh, consistently uh, occupied and I'm having it and still being deciphered. Four of the colonies are open to the of the public. The public sites from El Rosario are technically the names of the um, containing specific monarch um, colonies, 
in Rosario, the uh, other hand is technically the name of the colony founded in the sanctuary of Sierra, long word, uh, in, in such nu uh, nuances of nomenclature. I'm having trouble reading this. There's a lot of bright light. I'm sorry. Anyway, call them sanctuaries, call them colonies. I was able to visit the teeming um, monarchs in all four public locations and more and more and, and, and note their differences. El Rosario was the most built up with multiple parking lots, many uh, souvenir stands and paved road to the start. And um, on and on it goes. Anyway, so that's that's the beginning of I'm I'm just not in a good way with this with the the words are very. Anyway, I apologize for the poor reading. Um, it's a it's a, a wonderful book. She's a, a wonderful person. Please go to YouTube and listen to her there. That would probably be the the best way of doing that. Now, other things that I have planning coming up, which I hope I can do a better job with than I did that. Um, we have invited Richard Horton, who's the editor-in-chief of The Lancet, the, the major, the most famous British uh, medical journal. And he's written a book called The COVID-19 Catastrophe, What's Gone Wrong and How to Stop It from Happening Again. This is a serious, uh, small book, but Richard Horton has been very much on the public airwaves talking about and ra you know, raising hell, basically, about the situation in modern medicine and how it's not taking seriously the situation, not taking, they're taking it seriously, but they're not taking the planning that they need to do. They're not respecting the, uh, the, the vast situation that the, situa that, that, that the plague represents. And, uh, and he starts off this particular book talking about how the same was true in, in, the, in the 16th and 17th centuries. Uh, when the plagues were striking Europe, they had the same they had the, the same strategies that we're showing now in terms of isolation and et cetera, et cetera. So he's making fun of what modern people are doing, but he's got more than making fun in, in a serious kind of way. He does have a, some serious thinking here. So if you're interested in the in being part of the public awareness campaign of how to uh, sort of know more about what we should be doing as a culture to do a better job with the planning on for future pandemics. Um, I can't imagine you could do better than Richard read Richard Horton's book, The COVID-19 Catastrophe. And I don't have yet, no, I haven't had a response to our invitation. Two times they've, they've sent me invitations to invite him, but they, they haven't gotten back to me, so I don't honestly know if and when Richard will be with us. They did send me his book, however. Now, for the last one that I want to talk about that's coming up, Gerald Friedman. We read from this recently, and it's a, again, it's a small, tight little book, compact little book, The Case for Medicare for All. And um, we're at a moment when Medicare for All, or some form of it, it's time for this to you know, really arrive. And um, as much as the Republicans may not uh, like the idea, 
uh, it seems likely that the um, other people, uh, the the, um, the 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 other people who don't believe that people have a right to human uh, care and concern and, and me medical services, uh, they they think it's too expensive or whatever their excuse. Uh, they're in the minority at these at this moment, and so the the case for Medicare for all is just a s strong argument in favor, obviously. Uh, and so I hope that um, again, this is one of these things where they sent me the book. Gerald Friedman has been invited, but I haven't had a chance to. That is, I haven't had a response to my invitation. So, anyway, so looking ahead. I think that you'll find that the bicycling with butterflies uh, will be wonderful to to listen to Sarah Dykeman and her story, and I think that if Dr. Rykoff is as charming as his as his book is, and, and and if he's not too serious about the terrible situation that we're in, and if he has a sense of humor, that should also be because he's such it's such a wonderful book in terms of it being. In in-depth understanding, and if it, 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 the science that the way he presents it, it, it makes you, it enables you to feel through his eyes the living, the livingness of what the butterflies and the moths mean. And for those of us who grew up privileged by having lots of butterflies and and streams and open space where we happened to grow up, we can identify with what he talks about. So again, uh, then after, then also. Um, Vatsala Sperling, the, the Ayurvedic Reset Diet, will be with us shortly. I'm hoping that you'll choose to be with us then. Please let us know if you have concerns that, about what we might be talking about on Health Matters. Always happy to try to be of service. So until next time, I bid you well. This is Dr. Ned Hoke signing off. <laughs>